we're going to continue looking at some different psalms as we think about some basic questions that are connected to our church's vision, which is that we would continue to grow to be a people who are set free by the gospel of Jesus, who are set free by what Jesus has done and who he is, so that we can actually encounter the real God on a daily basis, so that we can actually be set free to be real with one another, with ourselves, so that we can actually take real risks to love others and to share Jesus with the world. And so as I said, we're going to look at Psalm 19 this morning. Psalm 19 is one of the, one of the places in the Bible that, that really, uh, more than any other place, talks about how God communicates, especially how God communicates about who he is. So listen to God's word as I read from Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. And in them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray right now as we look at this psalm that the the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. We pray that your spirit would work among us to show us yourself, to speak to us, to reveal your glory to us. Help us to know you just a little bit better. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Let me say that again. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. This is the first sentence from a book that I read a long time ago. I've read it a few times. It's a a book I really like. It's by a guy named A.W. Tozer. And uh, it's called The Knowledge of the Holy. And it's, it's really, it's about worship. But he goes on to say, after he says the fact that, you know, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us, he, he goes on to say that no people 
in history has ever risen above its religion, and no religion has ever risen above its idea of God and who he is. What comes into your mind when you think about God? What comes into your mind when you think about God? How knowable do you feel like God is? How well do you know God? The major theme of Psalm 19 is God's communication about himself. What he proclaims about himself. What he declares, what he testifies to about the truth of the universe and especially about who he is. And what I want to do this morning is look at three important things that this passage shows us or reminds us uh, that have to do with knowing him. Okay? So the first thing that I want to point out is, as, as I read this, one real strong sense that I get is that God wants you to know him. God wants you to know him. He's not hiding himself from you. He's not looking to try to make it as hard as possible for you to get to know him. He's not trying to put barriers up to get in the way of you getting, getting to know him. Um, I've always been an introvert. I've always been a pretty shy person. When I was in high school, it was very, very hard to get to know me. Most, there were, there were, I had very few friends. Most people thought that I was, I was probably just like really, you know, like thought I was better than everybody else. But the reality was I was just, I was just really shy. And you had, to, you had to work to try to get to know me, you know. God is not like that. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know how glorious he is. He wants you to know how good he is. He wants you to know how awesome and wonderful he is. How do I know that as I look at this psalm? Well, it starts off in the very first six verses talking about creation. It talks about the very first word, line says this, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. God has made the heavens and everything else in order to pour out speech saying this is who God is. God has made all things in order to say, I am here. I am real. I am powerful. He's not hiding. As we look around ourselves, it's awesome to be able to sit out here and worship outside, right? Because as we worship outside, everything around us that God has made is shouting to us. Look at how great he is. God wants you to know him because he's made all of creation to, to pour out speech about who he is. God wants you to know him. And, and, and the thing about creation that it talks about in the, in the verse six verses, it says it never stops. It never takes a break, right? In verse two, it says day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. All of creation never stops declaring how glorious God is. Never stops saying know him. He is here. He is real. Know him. And as it goes on down in verse 6, and, well, verses uh, 5 and 6, when it talks about the sun that God created, you know, that goes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. This kind of joyous sense of, of, of the sun, the thing that God has created, that it takes joy in proclaiming the greatness of God and the brightness of God. It says its rising is from the end of the heavens and, and its circuit to the end of them. An end of them. There's no place that you can go throughout the earth that you can get away from, from this sense of God's creation 
declaring who he is. And even if you were to close your eyes, even if you were to close your eyes, it even points out that there's nothing hidden from the heat of the sun. You would feel, some of you I see now, are feeling the heat of the sun on your skin, saying, God is glorious. God wants you to know him. He wants you to know him so much that, that one of the reasons that he made everything was to, was to declare his glory to you. Sometimes, maybe oftentimes, some of us pray and we feel like it's hard. It's hard maybe to get to know God better. It's hard. Maybe he feels distant to us. Well, I would suggest maybe one of the first things you could do is just open your window and look outside. Maybe walk outside and look up at the heavens, at the expanse of it, at the greatness of it, at the bigness of it. God is reminding you through everything that he's created, through the things that are, that, that, the, the universe, the things that are bigger than we can even imagine and the things that are smaller than we can even imagine, the tiniest little bug or particle. God is saying, I am beautiful and glorious and I want you to know me. As you, as you just look around at the people around you that are made in his image, God is saying, I want you to know me. Look at what I've made. But he wants you to know him so much that he didn't just stop with creation. Because you can only get to know God so well through all of the things that he has made. He's also given us words. He's given us words. He's given us sentences. He's given us paragraphs. He's given us letters and books to get to know him better. And that's what verses 7 to 11 are about. It talks about the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord. All these things are the things that God has communicated verbally to us to reveal who he is, what he cares about, to reveal his heart to us. He wants you to know him so much that he's not only given the visible creation, but he's given you words to read, to hear his heart about who he is, about how he feels about you, about how he loves you. He has given us his word. I'm sure some of you have probably heard some kind of version of this illustration before, but I'll tell kind of maybe uh, one version. Let's say there's a family and a father has to take a trip and he has to go away for a long time, maybe several months. But he has, you know, a wife and kids and, and he doesn't want them to forget how much he loves them. He doesn't want to lose touch with them. So, so he goes away and he starts to write letters regularly. Okay, who, who's heard of a letter anymore? Nobody writes letters. Okay, so he, he knows they have smartphones and he texts them every day multiple times a day, multiple texts a day, telling them what he's doing, what he's, what he's, what he's excited about, telling them how much he misses them, tell me, telling them how much he, he cares about them, telling, telling them how much he looks forward to seeing them again. Over and over again, text after text after text. And then months go by and he finally comes home and he, and he embraces his family and then, and then as they're, you know, uh, getting ready for dinner, one of the kids' phones is on the table and, and it starts to ring and he grabs it to hand to the kid and he, and he just glances at it and he looks at the, the text app has this astronomically high number of unread messages. You know that red number? is just incredibly high and he comes to realize they, they haven't even read a single one of his texts. They haven't, they haven't bothered to even open up the app and read the text. The word of God, his commandments, his law, throughout the Old Testament and into the, in the New Testament, all of that is God writing to us through people by the spirit of God, writing to each and every one of us to tell us what he cares about, to tell us what he's excited about, to tell us how much he loves us and how much he, he wants us to know him. Will we open up the text and listen, it, listen to him? 
Listen to him and his heart. God wants you to know him. He wants you to know him. He's not hiding. And this is important for us to realize because this psalm also makes the point that nothing is better than knowing him. There is nothing better than knowing him. After he talks about the law, the precepts, the commandments of God, he says in verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. The law of God, his, his written word, the revelation about who he is, the written revelation about who he is, says it's, it's more to be desired than the, the, the most valuable financial thing you could think of. More to be desired than gold. It's better than the best tasting food that you can imagine. And, and it's not just incredible. It's not just more, more valuable than those things just in and of itself. It's, it's more valuable because of what it says about who he is. That's the whole point of it. It's more valuable because it enables us to know him. Knowing God through his, what he has revealed in his word is more valuable than the most valuable things that we could pursue in life. No matter what you could think of. No matter what has value to you. What are the things that this world desires and works for and longs for? What are those things? There's, there's a long list of them, and I can't even mention them now, but I mean, the obvious thing is, you know, so many of us are, are want just, we, we just want money or more money or enough money to be able to be comfortable, to be able, be able to feel safe, right? God's word and what it says about who he is and, and it enables us to get to know him is, is more valuable than, than, than the biggest pile of money we could think of. So many of us, you know, we, we want experience. We want thrilling experiences. We want restful, peaceful experiences, you know. We want to entertain ourselves. More than the, the, better than the, the greatest entertainment you could imagine, God's word is better than that. You know? Physical pleasure. God's word, knowing him, is, is better than the greatest physical pleasure you could ever imagine. Because knowing God is better. A lot of us just long for, for someone to love us, for someone to notice us, for, for, for others to admire of us. Some, a lot of us long for, for achievement and success. We, we, we desire the people around us that we know to just be okay. God's word, getting to know him through his word and his law, is better than all those things. None of those things are bad. But knowing God through his word is better. It's better. Some of us are dealing with real health problems. And you're like, if only I just didn't hurt today. If only I didn't have to look towards another week where I'm facing just a lot of limitations and struggles. And we just want to be healthy. Again, that's, that's not wrong to want that. And God hurts for us in the midst of our pain. But, but to know God is better than to have no pain. <laughs> no, that's hard to imagine. Well, what is it that you're looking forward to today? What is it that you're looking forward to today? I know some of you guys are probably looking forward to the Giants opener, right? Even if they win by seven touchdowns, Knowing God through his word is way better than that. 
Uh, some of you have ordered something from Amazon that you cannot wait till it gets here. Knowing God through his word is way better than that moment when you see the Amazon package on the doorstep. Way better. And why is it? Well, he gives us the answer in verses 6 to 9. Knowing God through his word revives the soul. Nothing else can do that. Nothing else can revive your soul, give life to your soul. None of those other things can. Knowing God through his word gives joy to the heart. We might find a little taste of joy in all these other things, but none of them will give us a sustaining, deep joy like knowing God will. God's word, knowing him through his word, gives us wisdom. It endures, it doesn't fail, it is clean, there is nothing faulty about it. It will not fail, it is absolutely true. In, in the midst of all the sources of information that we have like coming at us throughout our lives, whether it's on social media or, or whatever news station we, we choose to watch or listen to, um, it feels like me, as every day go, goes by, it gets, more, it's, it gets harder and harder for me not to be suspicious of, of anything I hear. And yet God's word is absolutely true. And we can count on it. Nothing is better than knowing God through his word. Listening to him through his word. But as much as God wants us to know him and as ultimate it is, as it is to know him, there is what, what most of us, I would think, consider to be a risk in knowing him. And that is that it has to do with being vulnerable. In order to know God, it's going to require vulnerability because vulnerability goes hand in hand with knowing him. Vulnerability goes hand in hand with knowing him. You cannot get to know God or grow in your depth of knowing God without being vulnerable. Vulnerability is required to know him better. And as you know God, it's going to leave you more vulnerable than it, than it did before, than you, than you were before. Where do I see that? Well, at the, at, the, at the end of this passage, in verses, uh, uh, let's see, 12 to 14, after David has talked about the creation proclaiming God's glory and about the, the incomparable beauty and, and, and power of the word of God, of the law of God, of the commandments of God, where does that leave him? It leaves him thinking about his sin. It leaves him thinking about his faults. It leaves him thinking about his weakness. Verse 12, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, God. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. God, if you will just work in me by your power, that is the path towards innocence. Because I'm not. I'm not innocent. That's where David is left. Asking God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my, my heart be acceptable in your sight. Asking God to judge him. Asking God to hold him accountable. Begging God to forgive him. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. It leaves David in this very vulnerable place where he, he recognizes that, that as, as he thinks about the glory and the power of God, he is, he is completely other and falls completely short. And he's a sinner and he's broken. It leaves him in a vulnerable place. 
a completely vulnerable place, just at the mercy of what God, God thinks of him, at the mercy of what God says about him. If I want to know God, which is better than anything else, which will reward me with more than anything else, then I must embrace an attitude of vulnerability. To know God is to recognize that he has power over me, power over all things in my life. To know God is to recognize that he has the right to evaluate my life. What is good and what is bad about my life? What is right and what is wrong about my life? To know God is to put myself at his mercy, to, to, to connect what my significance and value, to connect what I think about myself completely to what he says about me. That puts me in a really vulnerable position. All right, I have watched some, some different kind of reality dating shows. To admit which ones those are would probably make me too vulnerable. Now, I'll admit it to you. Okay, so one of those shows that, that Kim and I watch on a regular basis is a show called Married at First Sight. Okay, I'm sure some of you guys are already judging me for this. But basically, you know, you have this panel of experts who uh, match two people that they believe are going to, you know, fit well together based on their values and, and things that they, they love and, and care about. And then these people come to the altar without having ever met one another. And they get married <laughs> right there when they first meet each other. And then it's a show that kind of like observes how they do with that, how they follow through on their vows that they make. And it is fascinating. Um, and I've learned a lot about how I need to love my own wife as I watch that show. But one of the th common issues, every single season, every relationship, one of the common issues is, is, you know, this issue of vulnerability. Because the couple cannot grow in their relationship with one another unless they are willing to be vulnerable with each other. And almost always, it is the woman saying, you're just not opening up. You're just not opening up. You're just not becoming vulnerable with me enough. And the guy is always like, I don't even know what that word means. I don't even know how to become more vulnerable. And this is the thing. For, for, for greater depth of knowledge in a relationship with someone, you have to be able to be vulnerable. In other words, you have to open yourself up to, to share yourself with that person and open yourself up to be judged by that person, to be, to be accepted or rejected by that person in the truth and the honesty of who you are. And that's what knowing God requires of us. I mean, there, there, there's a certain level where we can just kind of fill our heads with a bunch of knowledge about the just, just kind of facts about God. But to really know God, we have to be willing to be exposed. To, to, to really uh, be honest about our own sin, the ugliness of our own hearts. And to allow God... And what he says, as I said about it, what he, what, as I said before, what he says about us, what he thinks about us, to determine my well-being, my sense of, of peace and joy. It requires vulnerability. And so if we want to know God, and as I said, this all has kind of connected with, with our vision, you know, being real people, encountering the real God, those things are intertwined if I want to encounter the real God and have a real daily experience of the, the reality of God in my life, I have to be willing to open up myself and, and consider how desperately sinful I am. And the fact that, that, you know, based on my own merit, 
God might just simply reject me. But the good news is this, is that if we are willing to be vulnerable about our sin and honest about the ugliness of our own hearts and our own faults and our own failures, that God, as the very last line of this psalm declares, is a rock and redeemer. That's where, that's where David lands. That's where he lands at the end of this psalm, right? He says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. He, uh, David, David understands his own sinfulness. He understands his own brokenness. And, and in his vulnerability, he, he, he lays himself out there before God. And what does he get? He gets a rock, one who will be a refuge for him. He gets a redeemer, one who promises to rescue him and love him in the midst of all his brokenness. That's where, where ultimately God, God, in knowing God, God invites us to, to ultimately experience our vulnerability, to, to, to come to him and trust him to love us as we are with our sin, with our failure. And this is where David lands. He finishes recognizing that he needs God to work in his mouth and his heart, to work in the core of who David knows himself to be. And he lands holding on to God as his rock and his redeemer, holding on to God as the one who loves him, as the one who has saved him, as the one who rescues him. And this is where every person who has encountered Jesus and got to know him found themselves, isn't it? As you read the Gospels. Those who who encountered Jesus and, and really experienced relationship with him found themselves as broken and yet loved broken and yet loved and you might be hesitant about this vulnerability thing um, thinking that well you know god expects me to be vulnerable with him god expects me to be honest about my my own failure my own sin um what about him being vulnerable you know it's, it's hard to, to really enter into a relationship with somebody you, you need both people to be vulnerable or it's a really unbalanced situation. Well, God doesn't expect you to be vulnerable without him being vulnerable because he has been vulnerable. You know, don't you realize that? God has absolutely been vulnerable with us because God not, doesn't just want us to know him so badly that he's created everything to shout to us that he exists. He doesn't want to know us so much that, that, that he's given us words to help us know him, but he wants us to know him so much that he actually entered into our world. He sent his son to, to be completely vulnerable, to submit himself to the suffering of this world, to the sin of this world, to the rejection of people around him. What is more vulnerable than the man Jesus being taken and nailed to a cross, completely naked, to take upon himself the sin that we deserve. God has become more vulnerable than we could ever imagine in order to redeem us, in order to do exactly what David proclaims God to be, the great redeemer. And so this is the the question I want to leave us with today. How God wants you to know him. Will you take him up on on his, his desire, his offer? Will you pursue him? Will you pray today to know him better? Will you open up his word 
to listen to what he has to say about himself, about how he feels about you? Will, will you pay attention to that, how he has been vulnerable for you in living and dying for your sin? He wants to know you. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us this morning to listen to the gospel. The good news that your son has come to live, to die, to rise again so that we might receive and experience a deeper knowledge of you, a deeper relationship with you, a deeper experience of your love for us. Father, we pray that you would help us to stand before you with arms high and heart abandoned, knowing that that we are broken and sinful, and yet knowing that we have a a God who is our rock and redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you can, please stand once again. stood before creation eternity in your hand you spoke the earth into motion my soul now to stand you stood
to meet Jesus at the Lord's table. Um, hopefully you were handed the communion elements when you came in. If you do not have the communion elements and you need them, just go ahead and raise your hand and we'll get them out to you. If you don't have them, just raise your hand. Everybody got them? Jimbo's making his rounds. Just keep your hand up and Jimbo will get to you if you, if you haven't gotten them yet. But as we, uh, as we prepare, one way we need to prepare ourselves is to embrace our vulnerability and to look at our sin and confess our sin and, and seek his mercy. And so we're going to take a moment to confess our sin together with a prayer that's printed in the order of worship. It's also on the song sheet you should have in front of you. We're going to pray that out loud together. And then we'll have a silent time of confession. Please pray with me. Our Father, forgive us for thinking small thoughts of you and for ignoring your immensity and greatness. Lord Jesus, forgive us when we forget that you rule the nations and our small lives. Holy Spirit, we offend you in minimizing your power and squandering your gifts. We confess that our blindness to your glory, O triune God, our sin has resulted in shallow confession, half-hearted conviction, and only mild repentance. Have mercy upon us in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, we now take a moment in the silence to privately confess our individual sin to you.
Father, we pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Listen to John 3, 16 to 17. These are God's words of assurance to you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. If uh, this is true of you, that you have, have now embraced your vulnerability, you've embraced the fact that you are a, a sinner, that you have rebelled against him, that you have failed to love him and others as you should, and that you are in desperate need of him to say, I forgive you. If that is you, then the good news is that that is, exact, is exactly what God does say to you through the work of Jesus, his son. He says, I have forgiven you and I love you. You don't have to be afraid if you're here this morning and you've, you've, you've rested, in what, rested in what Jesus has done for you, you've received what he has done for you, then this meal is for you. It, it's, it's meant to point you to the fullness of his love for you in Jesus. But having said that, if, if you haven't come to a place in your life where you have trusted in Jesus, that you've received this, this work of Jesus for you to pay for your sin, then I would encourage you not to take the elements, not to take part. Because this is meant to mean something to truly mean something, okay? Listen to the words of institution from Matthew 26, 26 to 29. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. This is something special that we do every week. And I say a lot of the same things every week, but uh, it's, it's to help us to really meditate on what's going on here. Because it's, it's, as we take these elements, it's meant to point us, to, to remind us of what has happened, to remind us of the fact that, that Jesus Christ is, is a, a real man, came into our world and died a real death and rose from the dead. And because of that, because of that historical thing that has happened, we can have life. Our souls can experience revival. But it's, it's not just that. It's also an opportunity to meet him in a mysterious way by his spirit, to have his spirit feed our faith and strengthen us, to acknowledge as we, as we eat food, I know some of us might debate about how you know, much like food this is, but it is edible. As we eat this food, it's, it's a symbol of the fact that we, need to, that, that we need to rely on Jesus to sustain us on a daily basis. And, and it's, it's also a reminder to look to the future when Jesus will return and we will celebrate and we will eat and we will drink and we will know him in a way that we could never even imagine. Let's pray together before we partake. Father, we we pray that you would take these common elements and that you would use them. That you would use them for your purposes in our hearts. That you would uh, help us. That that, that you might want to convict some of us of our sin. You might want to um, assure some of us who are doubting that you're here with us, that you love us. You might want to assure us. You might want to comfort us. Father, we pray that you would use them by your spirit to meet us where we're at. 
and to strengthen us as your people. And to, to set us more free than we were before. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you want to take the bread out, go ahead and take it. Um, the night when he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and after giving thanks, he offered it to his disciples. He said, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's drink together. Father, we thank you that you are not one who lurks in the shadows, but you have shown yourself through creation, through your word, and ultimately through your son. And you have shown your glory. You've shown your righteousness and your wisdom and your mercy and your justice at the cross.